Oops, that's not right. Let's try that. There we go. Matthew chapter 5, and we continue on with our adventure into Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Today I would like to be to read verses 17 through 20. 17 through 20. Begins this way, Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven, but whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. May God add a special blessing to read him his word. And let's pause for prayer prior to our study. Father God, thank you for the day we've, that you've given to us, opportunity for us to praise and worship, which we've been engaged and enjoyed already, Father, for to sing praises to you. We would ask now for these moments before us that you would be our focus. We would ask, Father, that the word would be opened, that it would be fulfilling in our lives of you resonating the very essence of truth to us. Thank you, Father, for what you're going to do. We already know in advance that you have great things affording us because the word is so full and so rich and so outstanding. Father, we would ask that the Holy Spirit would exclusively be our teacher today. We would ask for us, for our minds and our hearts, our souls, all it makes us who we are, to be open, to be receiving, to be ready for what you'll give us this day. We would ask that we would glorify you and everything that was said and done. And Father, we again ask for the Spirit to lead us in this study today. Thank you for what you're going to accomplish. Be with each one, Father, that is not able to be here today for various reasons, that you would give them what they need today. Surround them with your love and your care. And thank you for those that have come out this afternoon. Bless them and their families as well. Now, as we look with anticipation to this, the Word of God, we thank you for what you'll accomplish in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as we've been uh, studying through the Sermon on the Mount, the first 12 verses, essentially, particularly verses 3 through 12, talks about who we are to be. It talks about character. It talks about those things that make a Christian a Christian. And we went, spent actually quite a bit of time, uh, a week per characteristic, shall we say. And then in verses uh, 13 through 16, we literally talked about how then we should live. So it's who we are in Christ and then how we should live. And then after that, I mean, you just, if you were to take those first 16 verses and you'd, you'd just hold that all in, you'd say, how in the world can I be all of that? And he answers it literally in verses 17 through 20 is really lifting up and fulfilling the word of God in our lives to enjoy all of the righteousness that God sheds in our heart. Uh, we think about the law. When I say that word, the law, and especially in uh, the times in which we find ourselves living today, uh, it's met with a, quite a lot of uh, different thought processes. The law is being violated, is being uh, completely disregarded, it has a lot of means 
nothing to some and a lot to others. It's a time we find ourselves as a nation in complete tumultuous times. In Jesus, it's interesting, as he's described of who those would be in the kingdom and how they should be living, that is, salt and light, he goes in and digresses in verse 17, saying, think not. Uh, that's interesting. When you say something like that, it's, there's a sense of perception that Jesus would have known those that were listening to him on that day as he's seated on the side of the mountain, speaking to multitudes, and it's thought to be, could have been anywhere as high as 40,000 people. Hard to imagine, isn't it? And yet Jesus was unfolding for them the things that, first of all, he valued the things that we'd need to be and how to do it. And then he talks about think not. What were they thinking? Well, I'm sure that part of the group that was there, it's actually addressed later in this passage, we won't get to today, that the scribes and the, Sadduc and the Pharisees particularly, who were religious leaders, they had lofty, they were thought of very loftily, and yet Jesus in many cases, brings them down to a level that he always wanted to do internal work and not external work. And they were externalists. They minored on the, ma minored on the majors and majored on the minors. And he's talking about the law. Think not. What were they thinking? Well, it was thought that when this Messiah, when this one to take out the Romans came, that all things would be changed. They may have even used Jeremiah 31, 31, that I will give you a new covenant, a new law, if you will. And he says, no, that's not at all right. Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets, for I am, come, for I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. That verse is so enriching, it's amazing. One of the things we find is I say, now let's break away from, let's just think about our society again today. Uh, as I say law, what do you think of? What makes law? What makes law good? What makes law uh, literally followed after or continue in, it, in its essence? What do you guys think of when I say law? Anything? Peace? Okay. Anything else? No crime. Protection. Protection. Order. Order. Anything else? Integrity. Integrity. Law. Excuse me? What's right? Let's work with that for a minute. That, that, that brings up some very interesting connotations when we think about what's right. What's right? What is right today? <laughs> One of the things that's happened in our country, and maybe even universally in the sense of our planet, is the fact that we've lost the foundation, the moral fabric there's, now, there's no reason anymore for what's right other than what's in that person's mind when we don't have absolute truth. When we fail to have absolutely foundational truth that's really literally based on God. See, when we have no God, we have no theology. And when we have no theology, we have no truth. And there's literally our country is canvassed today with people that are thinking with no truth. No truth no law. <laughs> That's what we're struggling right now because the passions of the law are literally, I'm sorry, if you take the laws that are being written today, and there's many laws that are not even written that we're asked to abide by today. We, we're in a very weird place right now. We're asked to conform to things that aren't even law. And I could digress, but I'll choose not to right now. But the point of the matter is, is it, when you have no God and you have no truth, then ultimately, then it's subject 
only to the passions of those making the laws that are godless. Thereby, you've got a mess. You've got a total mess. In fact, judicial uh, activity becomes nothing more than an experiment then because the one seated on the, on, the, on, the judge, on the bench is speaking only from himself. There's no basis. Law then is just at the whims of those that have written them. That's where we find ourselves today. It's, it's a crazy place, quite honestly. But Jesus is talking about the law of God. Now, I'm really interested to know what Jesus is thinking about the law. Because whatever he thinks about it, I want to think about it. He lays it out, and he's very clear and concise. He wants you to think the right things. John 17, 17 is a verse that we could just go to right away, and it's amazing. And Jesus' words as well said later on in his ministry, but it says, uh, John 17, 17, sanctify them. He's praying. This is the high priestly prayer, if you will, of Jesus for all of those that he will be leaving behind his disciples. He says, sanctify them through thy truth. And then clearly, thy word is truth. Boy, do we need to that to resonate through our entire country from the highest to the lowest halls of legislature. The Bible is never out of date. Now, there's some that would say, it's archaic, and don't you know the times have changed? We're out of step. The Bible is out of step with the people. No, the people are out of step with the Bible. The Bible, and, and thankfully, God never changes. I am so thankful. I've said that numerous times, but I'm so thankful that God does not change. Can you imagine if God could change? Today would be one thing, and tomorrow might be something else. I, I can't imagine anything much more horrifying than that. We've been taught to reinterpret the Bible. There are those that have come in the Bible not only saying it's outdated, but we just need to reinterpret it in today's, through our, the lenses of today. No, no. I'll tell you what, it seems like the ones that want to interpret it, and myself at times as well, when I come across a passage of Scripture that convicts me, it's a lot easier to say, oh, that isn't what the Bible means. But when that Bible convicts you, take it to heart. It's saying something. Let it speak. And Jesus is literally saying that, that the Scripture, the Word of God, the law is full and complete. We don't need to refine, to, to reinterpret the Bible. We need to uh, let it, let, yes, exactly, listen to it. We're not trying to redefine Scripture to fit our sin. Uh, let me say that again. The world is trying to redefine Scripture to fit its sin. Isn't that true? And, and you know, whatever it is in your life, then make the Bible say that. There's parts now because of that that well, not everything has been, um, uh, what should we say, um, inspired by the Holy Spirit. There's parts of it that aren't. And guess which ones aren't? It's probably the ones that we are having trouble with, right? That's, that's how it seems to be going. There's Bible colleges today that actually take a vote among the peers to see which is actually inspired and which is not. That's a tragedy, isn't it? Because if any of it is not true, then none of it is true. But basis for law is truth. You have no truth, you have no law, ultimately. The culture's doomed. When it's in a situation where it's lost, it's absolute truth. When we think of the, of the word uh, to the law from Jesus' perspective... Um, I guess I would say, first of all, that there are um, a couple of different ways or things that we would think of in the law itself. 
Um, and so let's look about it. Let's think about it for that in that respect for a second. Uh, you, I'm going to put law down, and then you're going to tell me what it could mean from Jesus's perspective. So law. What would what could he be referring to? He says, "I did not come to destroy the law, but ultimately to fulfill it." What is what, what does that mean? What does the law mean? Requirements. Requirements. Okay. Okay. Requirements. And what in what way? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you along with this a little bit because there are, in the sense of requirements, one of the things that, we, that the law could pertain to is the Ten Commandments. As God gave those to Moses, um, and that would, we could call that, as we'll go on in this study, we'll find that the Ten Commandments, yeah, and it has to do with what we would call moral law, okay? Moral law. What is, who, now, who does the moral law have to do with? Just the Jews? Everyone, doesn't it? Yeah. Us. Us is a great word. When we think of the fact of the Ten Commandments and the law, uh, it, it is very much universal. Even Romans chapter 2 talks about it. In fact, God made within us, within the humans, he made a sense of right and wrong. There's only, you take a little, a little kid. I, it's amazing how young I was. I remember I wasn't very old, and I knew when I'd done something wrong. It was pretty clear. And then my father usually reinforced the difference as well. He was good at it. Really good at it. <laughs> but that would be the moral law, if you will. Uh, what else could we say in the sense of, of law? What else did in the, and, and particularly, uh, now, now, when Jesus is talking about the law, let's be clear on this, it's at, even by the time frame and the context, it's obvious he's not talking about the New Testament. He would be talking about the writings previous to him being there, which would be the Old Testament. Okay? So the Ten Commandments are very much a, a valid could be what he's speaking of, the Ten Commandments. What else could he be talking about? What else could he be referring to when he says the law? Excuse me? Correct. It, yeah, that's correct. It would, th this, whole, this, was, this was God's commandments. This was God wrote them. We're going to be getting into that because literally God is the author of the law, and that's why it needs to be adhered to. That's why it's very preeminent. Right? That, that's an excellent point. Um, as we get, as you think about um, the Israelites as they're living uh, in the land where they're at, they would have not only saw as the law as being the Ten Commandments, which they did, but they also would have saw the law as the five books of Moses, which would have been the Pentateuch. Have you guys heard of that? I don't know. Forget the spelling if it's right or not. I don't know. So let's just hide that, okay? It's the five books of Moses. I think I'm close. Actually, I think I'm close. Why is it I got to stand back to see if it looks right? Or it could be something else. It could be the entire Old Testament. What's the difference between the Ten Commandments and the five books? It would be the prophets, wouldn't it? There would be no, so we could say the whole Old Testament. Or something would be foreign to us, but for them, be very relevant, is it could be all of those religious laws that were based on the traditions of men. The Pharisees had a whole lot of laws, and I've lost track of how many laws they had. But, you know, they worked on, in other words, it's, it, was, it was not right to work on Sunday, so they defined what work was. And work would have been not ha carrying a burden, 
So then they described what a burden was. And if you carried more than, I don't know, two pounds, or if you had more, this is really true. I, I could have given you a list, but I don't, it's amazing. Or if, you, if you carried more ink than you needed for two letters, that was a burden. And it goes on and on and on. All, you know, that's burdensome, isn't it? So I could just, so what we'll say is we'll just say man's traditions. I've, have you ever listened to uh, sometimes uh, there's, they'll come up with some weird laws and they'll say there's a law that you can't ride a bicycle carrying a pickle in Alabama. And I made that up, trust me. But they're just as weird. And you know what? Men making up laws that are of their own, of their own traditions. Why do, guys, why, do, why, why do they do that, by the way? Why did the Pharisees make up? Wasn't, wasn't the Ten Commandments enough? How, how many of you struggling with the Ten Commandments ultimately? You don't even need to raise your hand because I know that if you're not raising your hand, you're lying. So you're struggling with them, okay, right? The Ten Commandments is enough for me. That's enough. And yet, why did they do that? What did we say about the Pharisees? Give me a description of the Pharisees. What would you, how would you describe them? They were externalists, weren't they? Very prideful. And how do you be prideful if you can't keep the law? Correct? So make laws that you can keep. <laughs> Forget about God. He doesn't matter. But they kept enough of them so they looked holy and righteous. Yeah. They had their own laws that they wanted to keep because they wanted to look cool. Yeah. But it was to put a burden on the other people as well. But I, I thought ten, the Ten Commandments were enough. <laughs> I would think that's enough. So now the question is, of those four things, the Ten Commandments, the Pentateuch, the Old Testament in its whole, or man's tradition, which one is Jesus referring to? This is important. Sometimes when we see, when we see law, do you, you know what's amazing? I put that on the board because oftentimes, what do we think about when we see law in the Bible? Probably most of the time we think of the Ten Commandments, right? Was Jesus referring to that only? Well, let's go to our verse because it, it, he, he really answers it for us. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. Aha! When you put the prophets together with the law, the Ten Commandments, guess what you have? You have the whole Old Testament. It's all there. What, were the, what was the prophets' job? Let's talk about the prophets for a second. What did they do in regards to the law? What was their job? How, would you, how many of you would have wanted to be a prophet? Why not? Every, you're all, everybody's shaking their head no. Why? How come? Because they saw the future. Saw the future because of really what the people were doing in the past, right? Why did the prophets come in there and say, why did they have a, why did they have a voice? Why did they, because usually, you know what? God wanted to get their attention. And you know what God always used the prophets for to bring the attention to? What they had done wrong to bring them back to the law. Bring them back to what's right. Correct. So a prophet, yes, and that's exactly right. The prophets are the future. You know what was usually in the future of the Jews? Trouble. <laughs> you know why? Because they're past. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm actually, in one sense, America, its future scares me. Not because I'm fearful, but I'm scared for where our country's going. Because of what we're doing. Our past is going to determine our future. And in the book of Revelation, the word America... United States is not there. It's not there. I don't know where we're at, but we're not there. We're, we're combined with something else. And right now, if you look at the, the, the ideology that's winning, and that is to destroy freedom, to destroy liberty and justice for all, literally is taking a path that we will follow either a Marxist country 
are a Muslim country. And America will cease to, if we, if we stay on this pattern, we will cease to exist as a sovereign nation that God mightily put together under our founding fathers. I'm going to just say their trust and their faith in God. We can't go on like this because what? We've lost our truth. Not that truth can be lost, but we've lost our truth because we failed to recognize God and God alone is the foundation of any truth. When we have no God, we have no theology, we have no truth, we have literally no law. We are lawless no, today. No history. And that's what we're trying to do is to destroy history besides. When we have no truth, we have no law ultimately. Look at the lawlessness that's taking place. It's interesting that Jesus, first of all, tells us who we are. Remember those Beatitudes? Be humble, be meek, be mournful, be merciful. <laughs> How am I doing? Help me through it. Um, a peacemaker? You will be persecuted if you're a peacemaker. There's about two left. Which ones are they? Uh, well, you know what I'm talking about. Pure in heart. Absolutely. Thank you. And he describes who you are and then to be salt and light to a world. Man, if there was ever a need for you guys to, to be out there doing what Christ wants you to do, to be salt and light. We talked a lot about that last week. It's amazing what God can do. And then look, what the, look at the next section he brings up, God's law. Without God's law, we got nothing. Now you say, wait a minute. No, whoa, whoa, Larry. Isn't the Old Testament passed? Aren't we done with the Old Testament? Doesn't it, 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 isn't it over with? I mean, I don't care about the Old Testament. I'm in the New Testament. And Jesus said, I've not come to destroy it. That is, and that word destroy is the sense to smash or to tear down, which today there's a lot of that going on, right? But Jesus said, I didn't come to do that with the law, with God's law. And he'd be speaking right here. I should put a circle around the Old Testament. He's speaking about all of the Old Testament, including the prophets. All of that he's making reference to. And he didn't come to destroy. He came literally to fulfill. Let's go to uh, Matthew chapter 15. I want to show you what Jesus said just a, bit, a little bit later in this, uh, this gospel. Matthew chapter 15 and verse 6. He's speaking to, to, the, uh, to the Pharisees. In fact, let's pick the reading up uh, in verse 1. Here's a, this, this is actually because of an incident that happened with Jesus and his disciples. Matthew chapter 15 verse 1. Then came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem, saying, Why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. The other thing, I'll just, just, to just step away for a moment. Uh, you know, one of the things that Jesus did with the, with the uh, Pharisees' laws, do you know what he did with them? He totally thumbed his nose at them. He had, had no interest. He wasn't interested in, in carrying them. Because why? Because it wasn't God's law. Again, laws that were made for, the, for just men to make, Jesus didn't adhere to those. You won't, you won't find that, but let's keep going now. So he said, why, why don't you follow the traditions of our elders? He answered, verse 3, and said, why do you also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? Isn't that good? Nice comeback, huh? That's one of the things uh, that we want to think. This, this is a personal note, just a little bit of a, para, a, para, um, a parenthesis, is sometimes we do things or don't do things and we sometimes don't know why we do or don't do those things because they're based on traditions. We need to get at the bottom of those things. Why do we do that? Is it because it's in the Bible or is it because of a tradition? Does it make sense from God's perspective or just ours? That's something we need to continually ask ourselves as we just go about life, shall we say. And then let's keep going. Where did I, where did I lose you? Verse 3, there we go. Verse 4, chapter 15 of Matthew. For God commanded, saying, Honor thy father and mother, and he that curseth father or mother, let him die the death. But you say, Whosoever shall say to his father or his mother, 
it is a gift by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, and honor not his father and mother, he shall be free. Thus, watch now, this is what I want you to catch, verse 6. Thus have you made the commandment of God of none effect, how? By your tradition. You hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. That is what Jesus' message is really all about, getting to the heart. As he came to fulfill the Old Testament, the law, let's go to Luke for a moment. There's some things that Jesus says about fulfilling, because as you're thinking about that, fulfilling. What do you mean fulfilling the law, fulfilling the Old Testament? Here's this man sitting on the side of a mountain, and he's speaking to them, and he said, I didn't come to destroy, but to fulfill it. Uh, Luke chapter 16 and verse 16. Jesus' words again, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 16, verse 16. The law and the prophet, did you, now did you see that? That's exactly what Jesus is talking about. What did he say? I did not come to destroy the law or the prophets, the combination, the Old Testament. He says, I did, on verse 16, the law and the prophets were until John. John who? John the Baptist. What was, what was, what was that significance? What made that stuff? What, what, what's that mark of demarcation, that line of demarcation? What did John do? What, what was he on the scene for, John the Baptist? Was he to just like put camel hair suits on and, and eat grasshoppers and be an a icon for those wild men? Mountain? They were, he was to fulfill the prophecy about being a forerunner for Jesus Christ, to prophesy, literally, that Jesus would be there soon. And what was his message? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, did you see this? It said the law and the prophets ended at John the Baptist. Well, that's interesting. Let's keep reading. Verse 16. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached, and every man presseth into it. Turn over to chapter 24. Same book, Luke chapter 24, and verse 27. Watch this. Now, this is much later. In fact, this is after Jesus Christ has been crucified. He was dead. He was buried. And he's risen from the dead. And he's on the road to Emmaus. I mean, this would have been fun. I would have even liked to have been there. How would you like? You know, you know the situation. You've got these, these people that are totally depressed, the disciples, and they're walking. They're leaving because they think they're next on the line to be tortured, crucified, and to be lost in the sense of the hands of those, the Romans or the, the, the Pharisees. And so they're walking away from Jerusalem, giving up. And they're depressed. And all of a sudden, this guy joins them. Well, what, what, what are you doing? Haven't you heard? Haven't you heard? They killed Jesus. No. And guess who's with them? Jesus. <laughs> this is great. So let's dial in chapter 24 of Luke. Chapter 24. And let's look now at verse 27. Actually, we should start. Let, let's, let's do a little more than that. Let, let's, get, let's get our whole context. Verse 13. Let's take a little more reading, but it'll be okay. Luke 24, verse 13. Behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about three score furlongs. And they walked together of these things which had happened. That's all the, 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 the crucifixion, the burial. 
It came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. This is the one they're talking about. In fact, it's interesting. I want you to, just for, just for a second, what Jesus is saying about fulfilling the law is even just about as significant as him now speaking and walking with these two. As they're, he's with this mass of people, he says, I literally am going to fulfill this. They really should have fallen flat on their face from that. But let's keep going. It came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew nigh drew near and went with them. Their eyes were holden, they should not know him. And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that you have one to another? And as you walk, you are sad. One of them, whose name was Cleophas, answered and said, Are you a stranger in Jerusalem? You don't know these things which are come to pass in these days? And he said unto them, What things? Oh my, Jesus knows how to get a conversation going. And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who's right there right now, which was a prophet mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all of this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yes, and certain women also of our company made us astonished. Did you see just astonished, not believers, which were early at the sepulcher. And when they found not his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels which said that he was alive. And certain of them, which were with us, went to the sepulcher and found it even so, as the women had said, but him they saw not. Jesus is taking this all in. Isn't this quite a, quite a capture that Cleopas unfolded for Jesus, who's standing right there with him? What, what are you, a stranger? Let me tell you what's happened. <laughs> I think it's hilarious. And Jesus, yeah, go, what things? What, what things? <laughs> no, they had not known. In fact, it would seem that the Spirit would have not allow them to see what's this and this is for our purposes because watch what the next verses say this is really cool keeping in mind what our whole game plan is what we're doing today talking about the law verse 25 then he said unto them oh fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken ought not christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory and begin watch now and beginning at moses and all the prophets he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning who? Himself. You see, the law, all of it, all of it is really literally a showcase for none other than Jesus Christ. The Old Testament is talking exclusively about Jesus Christ. He's the seed of the woman in Genesis. He's the Passover lamb in Exodus. You could go on and every single book has a name essentially for Jesus Christ. The Old Testament is a complete picturama of who Jesus is. It's all about Jesus. And he, now, now coming back to the Sermon on the Mount, he's seated on the wall, uh, of, of a wall. He's seated on the mountainside, and he's literally saying to them, I didn't come to destroy the law, which really is all about me. I have come to fulfill it. Wow. Now let's look at one more. Let's go to uh, chapter 24, verse 44. Go down to the same, just, just keep going, same, same chapter. Verse 44. He said unto them, these are the words, now this is a different, little different context, he's appearing to the disciples again. He said unto them, these are the words which I spoke unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses, in the prophets, in the Psalms, concerning who? Me. <laughs> you got any question about what the Old Testament's about? It's all about Jesus. It's all about the Messiah. Oh my goodness. Oh, my goodness. He's fulfilling it. Let's go back to uh, Deuteronomy for a moment. Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 13. 
I want you to see how the, how, how the, uh, the Old Testament splits into, essentially, we've already talked about it. Well, sort of have. We started and then like kind of lost track. But let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 13. Deuteronomy 4 and verse 13. I'm a little slow here. I'll catch up with you. And he declared unto you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform, even ten commandments, and he wrote them upon two tablets of stone. So, as we've written on the board here, under law, we have the ten commandments. It has to do with the moral law. And God gave them, God wrote it. He is the author of the Ten Commandments. Now, let's keep going. Verse 14 talks about that, the Ten Commandments. Verse, verse 14, And the Lord commanded me, Moses, at that time to teach you statutes and judgments that you might do them in the land, whether you go over to possess it. Now, there's a difference there, isn't it? What's a statute and ordinance? That would have to do with the judicial law. Okay? Not only do we have a moral law, but the Jews, exclusively just the Israelites, would have had all kinds of statutes and ordinances that Moses would have given how to govern the people as they were a peculiar people. They were people that were selected exclusively by God to show the rest of the world how he wanted people to live. And that judicial system were made up of statues, statutes and ordinances. Okay? That's the judicial law that had to do with Israel only. Now, the prophets, as we've already said, is they reminded the people of the law. They brought them back to the law. They brought them back to where God wanted them. They, they, it, think of the, the judges, the period of the judges. Oh, my goodness, right? They'd wander, and they'd go, they'd leave, and then God would bring them, and they'd leave, and then they'd go back. And it was just this, why? And you know what? What's the last verse of Judges? We should look at this. It fits so much, and I know some of you will remember it, but just find Judges. Turn to the last verse of that book, and if that doesn't define... We we'll just change the words a little bit and follow along. Judges chapter 21, verse 25. Judges chapter 21, verse 25. Now, I'm going to change it for just a second, and it's going to say this. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes in the U.S. of A. <laughs> Isn't that exactly the ticket? Yeah. See, when men lose God, they lose truth, and they have no law. <laughs> well, you wouldn't want to have anybody holding you, right? I mean, get rid of all restrictions, total anarchy. That's what we want until it affects us. Oh, my goodness. And yet, you know, there's one thing. Did you know there's only one thing we learned from history? We don't learn anything from history. Right. <laughs> That's true. The policies and some of those that are being touted today are failed experiments already. One of the first reasons that the law is preeminent, that is, first, is it's authored by God, but it's also affirmed by the prophets. They continued to reinforce. They reiterated it. They were literally God's mouthpiece. A picture of that would be back in Exodus. Let's go to Exodus chapter 4 for a moment. Exodus chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. Exodus 4, 15 and 16. Now, this is a picture, literally, of how God put together Moses and Aaron. Exodus chapter 4 and verse 15. 
and thou shalt speak unto him. Now, this is speaking of, let's step back, just one verse, and it'll pull the guys into perspective. The anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. Now, why, why was that? Why was, why was God not very happy with Moses right now? He was complaining. He said, no, God, I can't do that. And God said, oh, yes, you can, because I am enabling you. And verse 14 says, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, is not Aaron that Levite thy brother? And I know that he can speak well. And also, behold, he cometh forth to meet you. And when he seeth thee, he will be glad in his heart. Now, again, just seeing the magnificence of God. Let's think about that for a moment. So here comes God in the burning bush, right? Moses, he's been hanging around in Egypt for 40 years, was going to do God's will, Moses' way, got in a lot of trouble, murdered a man. So the next 40 years, he learned that he was going to do it God's way, okay? took 40 years to do that. And all of a sudden, God appears when he's learned his lesson and herding enough sheep for long enough, he's ready to lead some people. I'll tell you what, if you're really good with sheep, you're going to be good with people. You will. They're a lot alike. And he shows up, and here's this burning bush. But it doesn't, it's not consumed. Moses says, what is this? <laughs> I'll get your attention. Long story short, God says, I want you to go lead my people out of Egypt. Oh, not me. Oh, not me. And he goes through all of his stuff, and finally it's the fact, I can't speak. He's made every excuse imaginable, and finally God says, okay, then take Aaron. And you know what he did? God knew what Moses would say, obviously. And he's got Aaron coming to meet Moses in the desert. Isn't that cool? He already knew what was going to happen, and he set it up. There you go. Moses, you got nothing left. In fact, he's going to be here in about five minutes. It doesn't say that, but you get the idea. And so Aaron is there. He's going to be, now watch. This is where I wanted to take you, verse 15. And thou shalt speak unto him and put words in his mouth, and I will be with thy mouth and with his mouth and will teach you what you shall say. That's literally, well, let's keep one more verse. And he shall be thy spokesman unto the people, and he shall be, even he shall be to thee instead of a mouth, that thou shalt be to me instead of God. That's essentially what a prophet is, is the mouthpiece for God. As, as God would raise up, think of Nathan for a moment. Who was it that got to David? We've been talking about that literally in the last number of weeks. That David was the one that had uh, sinned with Bathsheba and he had killed Uriah and just a, ma- a mountain of things that were separating him from God. It was just, it was a, a, a mountainous thing. And then God, you know, God said to Nathan, Nathan, I want you to talk to David. You, you, you mean me, this Nathan? I, there's another Nathan over, and he did, and he worked, it worked beautifully. You think of Jeremiah. What a, ter- a tough job that would have been to have been Jeremiah. What was his message? You guys have sinned, and you need to return to God. The prophets in every single case normally would, yes, they would prophesy what would happen, but the reason it was going to happen is because what they weren't adhering to, and they always want to return them back to where God wanted them to be. The prophets. The prophets. In fact, Jeremiah, look at, look at Jeremiah chapter 1, just quickly. Jeremiah chapter 1, see if you can find that one. Jeremiah chapter 1. That was one tough guy, I'll tell you what. Jeremiah chapter 1. Let's see if I can find it. Verse 9. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. This is Jeremiah speaking. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in thy mouth. That's literally what the prophets did. 
Now, not only is the law to be preeminent because it was authored by God, affirmed by the prophets, but it was literally accomplished by Christ. He claimed to be the completion or the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 7. Hebrews 10, 7. Hebrews 10, 7. Then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do thy will, O God. Jesus Christ came to do the will of the Father. That's what he came to do. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 20. 2 Corinthians 1.20. Watch this. This is a verse you may not have noticed before. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. For all the promises of God in Him, <laughs> they're all in Jesus Christ, are yea and in Him, amen, unto the glory of God by us. All of those promises are found in complete fulfillment in Christ. If that's not worth an amen, I don't know what is. He completed the task. Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 20. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 20. Now, as you think about the sense of fulfilling, in Jesus fulfilling it, how do you think that happened? And we're talking about the Old Testament in its entirety. Jesus was clear about that. How did he fulfill it? In what way? Was it a matter of just teaching about it? In other words, the Old Testament would have been, it would have, you know, a lot of stuff being said, and then Jesus would be like painting it, filling in all the colors, filling in all of the places, and letting people understand more completely of what God was after. You think that's it? And he did some of that, but is that the ultimate in the sense of fulfilling? Probably not. How about meeting the demands of the law, meeting the demands of the Old Testament? In fact, let's go to... Uh, Matthew chapter 3 and verse 15. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 15. Uh, in fact, this was the time when Jesus and John the Baptist met for the first time. They'd met for the first time. And in verse 13, it discusses this with John the Baptist. And remember, what did, what did we find that the, that the law and the prophets ended when? When John came, okay? So here we have John chapter, I'm sorry, you're in Matthew, please stay there. Matthew chapter 3, verse 13. Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of you. Comest you to me? And watch what Jesus says. Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer or allow it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he suffered him, or he allowed him, to be baptized. Clearly, it is the fact that Jesus was there to fulfill the demands of the law. But even more significant than that is the fact that he himself was the fulfillment of the law. The very essence of himself. All of that he was is what the scripture, the Old Testament spoke of exclusively and completely. And he, Jesus himself, was that fulfillment. Let's go to Leviticus chapter 26, verse 46, talking a little more about the judicial law. Actually, I left one more out, didn't I? You know, I left you hanging. I raised the board. Now, think of, this is a little pop quiz. You guys will be able to fill us all in, right? We had the Ten Commandments, and that's the 
moral law, okay? Then we talked about the fact that in Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 14, it talked about not only were the commandments, there was statutes and ordinances, and that would have been to do with the judicial system for Israel only. That's not something that America has run under. That's not anybody else has run under. That was how Moses led the people of Israel in the Old Testament. Only. Why did he say that? Because that judicial system essentially ended when they rejected their Messiah and executed him on a cross. That was then the judicial system at that time for Israel ceased. It was over. Now, God set them aside, and in the tribulation period, he will reissue a sense of working with them. In the present, where we are right today, we're in grace age. Guess what? A Jew has to be saved exactly the same way. You must come through Jesus Christ. That's why they're called Messianic Jews. Literally, the nation of Israel today has been set aside because they rejected their Messiah, Jesus Christ, and he is working with the church now. Jew and Greek, or Jew and Gentile, I should say it that way. But the judicial system, all of those things in the Old Testament, how Moses ran the country, done, fulfilled, over with, when Jesus died on the cross. But there's one we didn't talk about. There's what we would call the, well, let's go back. I told you, where where did I tell you to go? uh, Leviticus 26, let's go to Leviticus 26, verse 46. This is talking about the judicial law. We'll finish that thought process, and then we'll, we'll move on. Just 26, 46. These are 26, 40. These are the statutes and judgments and laws which the Lord made between him and who? The children of Israel in Mount Sinai by the hand of Moses. That verse is very clear. Statutes and ordinances are used exclusively for the Jews in the land of Israel that Moses was leading. Then turn with me. I'm not even sure why, but I've got Psalm chapter 147 written down. So let's turn there. We'll see what it says. 147 and verse 19. Psalm 147 and verse 19. Now, it would just clarify that. That would be another picture that uh, a psalm written, 147 verse 19 says, He, God, showeth his word unto Jacob, that would be Israel, his statutes and his judgments unto Israel. That's judicial law. Okay? Let's go to, did I take you to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19? I don't think I did. Let's go there. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 19. Hebrews 10, 19. Hebrews. How many men followed this biblical commandment this morning? You know, it's a man's job to brew the coffee. Hebrews. Does he? Very good. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Therein is the third law, if you will, in the Old Testament. One is the moral law. That's for everybody. And does that, by the way, did that stop when Jesus fulfilled it? And he did. He fulfilled every aspect of it. There's not a law he broke. There's not anything that he sinned in. Is that he fulfilled it? Is it done? It continues forth. The moral law, the judicial system is finished for that time frame. It's done. And the ceremonial law is the last we want to look at. What is the ceremonial law? What does that have to do with? How the nation of Israel worshipped God. And there was very clear and concise laws concerning that. In fact, Aaron, 
Remember Aaron, the high priest, the one that was, was the spokesman, the prophet that literally kind of used the prophet's uh, connotation with Moses? He would speak what Moses told him, and God would tell Moses what to say. Well, he was also the high priest. He was the high priest. What was his job? What was his job? How would you like to have his job? Particularly, he, and, and he would sacrifice for the people. The ceremonial law was all about sacrifice and bringing people back to God, right? And Jesus also fulfilled that. We'll be talking about that in a second. But Aaron, the high priest, and then his family as it went down through the, through the years, their job once a year, we'll talk about that. That was a pretty heavy job. He had to make sure that he was right. His heart was right. Everything was right, and he sacrificed adequately. And then he would go into the holiest of holies. That's a place that no one went because only God lived there. That's inside was the tabernacle and the mercy seat and all of those things. And only one time a year was he allowed to go into that place. For what? For the forgiveness of the sins of the people for that year. And what if the priest wasn't ready, wasn't pure, wasn't, <coughs> shall we say, sacrificed up, Kapoof. In fact, that's why you wear a rope, because nobody else could go in to get him. Because it would poof, the second one. And he had a bell. When the bell stopped ringing and dinging, let's pull him out. That is true. That is absolutely That's how sacred this was. That's how big a deal it was. Did you see, did you see why the Israelites were afraid of God? That's what the Old Testament is about. That judgment, that <coughs> holiness of God, they go together. And to think of the majesty and the outright amazing awesomeness of God, that that man, the high priest, could only go in there one day out of the year, and if he wasn't prepared, he was no longer the high priest. He was a low priest. That was a horrible joke. But God is God. And the ceremonial law to worship God, all of those things, all of the sacrificial system, and I would have not wanted to be alive then, personally. I just wouldn't have wanted to have been an Israelite in the sacrificial system. I would have had to run three times as many cows. I'd be sacrificing them all the time, right? Oh, for goodness sakes, honey, I've got to get another heifer in there, right? No, it wouldn't be good. It wouldn't be good at all. It wouldn't be good at all. The ceremonial law, is that active today? No, that was in the Old Testament. Is it active today? No, why not? And what, exactly. What was he? He was the Passover lamb. That was one of the things. The other thing is he, con in fact, let's, where did I leave you? Did I put you in? Oh, yeah, exactly. I, I, I mentioned the verse before I was ready for you. But let's read it again now that I've got you ready. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness enter into the holiest. That's what exactly what Aaron did. He would enter the holy of holies. And now you can have boldness. How many, if you were just an individual Jew and you said, oh, I'm going to walk into the holy of holies, they would stop you because you'd be smoked. And now he's saying right here, right here, this is big for a Jew. He says this, having therefore, brethren, boldness. Not nervousness, not timidness, boldness to enter into the holiest. How? By the blood of Jesus. I said that really loud because I wanted you to get it. The blood of Jesus fulfilled the ceremonial law. Ceremonial law. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 18. For there is verily, this is Hebrews 7, 18, for there is verily a disannulling of the commandment going before for the weakness and unprofitableness thereof. He's speaking of that law, the judicial law, that you know what? The Jews could not keep. They could not keep it. 
So it was literally taken away. Hebrews 8.8, 8. let's go on to the next chapter, 8.8. 8. For finding fault with them, he said, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. That is exactly what he's doing. In the tribulation period, that's going to be a time frame. See, we're in, we're in the grace age, that dispensation that started with the beginning of the church. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. The Holy Spirit came onto the disciples, and poof, we got a brand new agent. It's called, at the time of Pentecost, and the church began. And we're part of that. Aren't you glad you're living in the grace age? Oh, my goodness. I say amen. It's awesome. Awesome. And this one's going to change. This one's going to end. I'm not, not change. But this, this age, this dispensation will, will stop when? When the church is captured out, when the rapture takes place, the snatching away, the catching away, and guess what's left? A lot of Jews, because they failed to see Jesus, who he was, their Messiah. And this is when God changes from working with the church and the Gentiles, and I'm so glad he worked with us for over 2,000 years. We're not very quick either, right? But he's going to go back to work with the Jews for seven years. For seven years, it's going to be hell on earth. And beyond. And we won't be here. And we won't be here. If you've trusted Christ, you're gone. You're caught up. You're snatched away. I say praise God. There's no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8.1. There's no place for us to be in the tribulation as Christians. It's not there. We're not there. Because, and because this is interesting, this is because the church is no longer part of the dispensation. He's working now exclusively with the Jews. That's why there's 144,000 that come from each one of those tribes, 12,000. It's not the Jehovah's Witnesses as we see them today. We're talking about God's Witnesses, the Jews, 12,000 out of each tribe. They will witness and they are un... I'm looking for a word. They can't be hurt. They're literally proclaiming God's message. They are prophets on steroids. And you know what? The Jews find Jesus. That's what it's all about. At the end of the tribulation, Jews... Find their Messiah. They missed him the first time, and there he is, big, bold, and completely alive. And yes, there will be Gentiles saved there, but it's not going to be an easy deal. You will pay. The mark of the beast will be front and forth center. You won't be able to get away from that one without literally being martyred, I'm convinced. The Jews... God's protected people. There's a remnant today. And again, I want to make certain, when that judicial system ended, when Jesus Christ was hung on the cross, that judicial law was ended at that point for the nation of Israel. It will be reignited when God works in the tribulation and working with them exclusively. What a time that will be. But the ceremonial law, it's finished for good. There's nothing to be completed. Jesus Christ accomplished everything that needed to be done. Our sins are paid for it, not only for the nation of Israel. You know what they're doing right now? What happened in 70 AD? <clears throat> it was pretty significant. The Romans destroyed the temple and all of the ancestral records. That was something the Jews loved to know as they wanted to know, where, where is your family tree? How do you fit into all of this? They were looking for Jesus. They were looking for the Messiah. He would come from the line of David. Guess what? Matthew and Luke show us the line of Jesus. He fits not only from one side of the kingdom line, from both sides come together. It's beautiful. And you know what? After Jesus was here, we don't need any more ancestral records. They're all gone. I mean, the Jews are just going, they're amok. <clears throat> Guess what they want today? What are they assembling materials for right now today, Israel? To re-engage in the sacrificial system. Don't need it. But they'll find Jesus. They'll find Jesus in the tribulation. And we should be thankful for that. I'm actually really thankful for the Jews set him aside. 
In fact, look at this. Let's go to, this is the day that Jesus, he was overlooking Jerusalem. Uh, wait, wait a minute. I, did you notice I got off on another rabbit trail? Did you notice that? <laughs> it's, it's possible. Um, one more verse while we're in Hebrews. I was following you. <laughs> All the way around the rabbit trails. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 10. Watch. Um, we should probably start... Yeah, well, just verse 10, that'll be Hebrews chapter 9, verse 10. Which stood only in meats and drinks and various or divers washings and cardinal ordinances imposed on them until, watch, the time of reformation. Again, that, that, was, the, that was when Jesus Christ came and fulfilled it. All of that judicial system, all of those ordinances, all of those statutes ceased to exist when they killed their Messiah. Now, where did I tell you to go? I wanted to go to Matthew. This is not in my notes. We'll try, I think it's around, I'll find it when I get there. I think I will. Um, let's see. Maybe I won't. Um, you know how you have a Bible for a really long time, and you know where all that stuff is, and then you get a different Bible, and it's not on the same page, right? Ah! But I'm, it's okay. I got it. Matthew chapter 23. And, uh, and let's start in verse 33. He's making friends again, Jesus is. Uh, Matthew chapter 23, verse 33 says, You snakes, no, I'm sorry, you serpents, you generation of vipers. That's the way to make friends. How can you escape the damnation of hell? Wherefore, behold, I send unto you prophets and wise men and scribes, and some of them you shall kill and crucify, and some of them shall you scourge in your synagogues and persecute them from city to city, that unto you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth from the blood of the righteous Abel until the blood of Zacharias, son of Barachias, whom you slew between the temple and the altar. That literally takes all of those who are perceived to be prophets, men of God, from one end to the other. Verily I say unto you, all these things shall come upon this generation. Now watch verse 37. This was a change in direction for Jesus. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets, and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, but you would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. For I say unto you, you shall not see me henceforth till you shall say, Blessed is he to come in the name of... You know when that happens? In the tribulation. Amen. And he literally just... He stopped working with the Jews. At that point, he was, done. he was done. Because they had rejected him. And ultimately, that was proven when they nailed him to a cross and he said, Father, forgive them if they know not what they do. And I basically was saying, I'll see you in the tribulation. <laughs> and in the meantime, here we are. We're in this parenthesis of working with the Jews. Literally, the whole scripture is all about Jesus. Front to back, it's all about him. And the Old Testament particularly is really about Jesus fulfilling everything that God had set out to do. So how about the law? And we're going to, we're just, wow. Let's go to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. We'll be looking at other aspects of the law next week. What was the first book written in the New Testament? By date. Galatians. This was the first one, literally, after the church had begun. This was the first one. Now, what would you think would have happened? Jesus is crucified. He's dead. He's buried. He's resurrected. The church began. What would happen? What do you think would happen? Jesus' message, the gospel, the good news is he was crucified for our sins. He rose and we're free from the penalty of sin. Okay? 
What could happen to that? Doesn't that sound simple? Doesn't that sound neat? Doesn't that sound wonderful? <coughs> sounds awesome, doesn't it? What do you think could happen? <laughs> Wanted to add something to it. In fact, the Judaizers, those that were Jews, they said it's okay, Jesus is okay, but we want to add to it. We want to add some more stuff to it. Now watch. Paul, writing this letter, Galatians chapter 3, verse 24. We'll start, let's see, 24, where did I go here? Yeah, verse 24, chapter 3 of Galatians. Wherefore, the law, oh, we're back to the law, was our schoolmaster. Stop. Don't, don't read it further. You already did, but don't. Okay. The law was our schoolmaster. What is a schoolmaster? A teacher. A teacher. What does a teacher do? Teaches. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> uh, what a good teacher does is teaches, right? Okay. okay. But let, let's break down the moment. A good teacher, what, 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 are some, what are some things we could say about adjectives that a good teacher does? What does a good teacher do? They listen enthusiastically about what you're doing. Exactly. And how do they do that, by the way? That, that's exact. In fact, when you can get a teacher doing their job adequately, guess what? Those students are ready to, they're ready to get. What are they doing? They're literally making it in a way that that student is asking questions. And when a student is asking questions, they're ready to learn. Okay? So they're leading. They're guiding. They're enthusiastically getting that group ready to learn. Correct? Okay, how's that? Anything else you want to add to it? Now, what did it just... Excuse me? They've developed credibility. Yeah, and that, that's, a, that's another really key thing. The really, really good teachers, those kids believe in those teachers. They believe in those teachers. I know I'm just thinking through my, my uh, first grade through high school. There's the ones that, that stand out to me are the ones I respected. The ones that got, what, what was the word you used again? Credibility. credibility. They, they were credible to me. I, and when I had that, I could trust them. And when I can trust somebody, I want to learn from them. Correct? Now we're talking about it, okay? Now it sounds like we're having a sermon on teachers. You guys are doing really good. But now I'm going to come back. <laughs> What's that? Yes, yes. In fact, we spoke of this a couple weeks ago. Right now at the collegiate scene, which needs to change quickly, just to have an, a healthy dialogue. In the 80s and 90s, it was thought that we were probably between five and eight liberal professors to everyone that was a conservative. Today we're at 50 to one. 50 to one. No longer, we we're not teaching. No. We're indoctrinating. And that's, that's absolutely the truth. It's the same thing in the military as well. It, it, it's actually in, in so many phases of America today. And you know why? We're going to come back to what we're talking about today. There's no truth. You do not have absolute truth. If you do not have absolute truth, you cannot teach properly because you cannot teach without having truth. And then it becomes only what's inside that person's head, whatever they think is important. And that's where indoctrination comes from. It's crazy. Crazy stuff. Okay, now, now let's get back to the verse. It's taken us a little while. Have you noticed that? We were in chapter 3, verse 24. Okay, and we've talked about a schoolmaster. We've talked about a teacher, and we've done a really nice job of that. But what did it say? Who was the schoolmaster? Who was the teacher in this verse? The law. How does the law teach? What does it do? Let's keep reading. It's wonderful. I know you guys already cheated and went forward, but let's do it again. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster. What? To bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. Oh, that verse is so rich, so full, so, oh, it's just so pregnant with meaning. Think of it, that this, the law, literally, which Jesus fulfilled, he was the fulfillment, not, not just by teaching about it and by 
fulfilling in the, of the deed. He literally fulfilled the entire Old Testament himself. And that law actually was what led them to Christ, which was the fulfillment of the law, which literally is the fulfillment of everything that God had promised before the foundation of the world in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. He chose us in him. Oh, isn't that marvelous to think of that, the fullness of all of that. Oh, it's hard. It's refreshing. So crazy. The law was our schoolmaster to lead us to Christ. Christ fulfills everything that God gave to us in the sense of life. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8. Hold that one. Hold that one for just a thought. Just, just wait. Don't let me forget, though, uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 4. We'll go there to finish. Let's talk about the differences for a moment between Aaron the high priest, we talked about him a moment ago, and Jesus Christ, which is also called the high priest. Okay, Aaron. What can you tell me about Aaron? He, he was a sinner, correct? Jesus Christ was sinless. Okay, what else about Aaron? He went into the Holy of Holies once a year. Jesus went in once for all. Aaron would have sacrificed a lot of bulls, the blood of lots of bulls. Jesus offered himself his own blood once for all. What else did Aaron do? Aaron had to sacrifice for his own sin. Jesus paid for our sin. Both high priests, Jesus' work was complete. Aaron's was never done. Just think of that. After you go in there one time, you go in for the people, this, you know, that would be the concluding thought. Oh, i got to do this again next year. Right? And when Jesus was done, and when you've accepted, when everyone in this room, if you've trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, it's fixed. It's forever. It's, he is now our advocate. He's standing up for us when, Jesus, when, when Satan is trying to condemn us. Aren't you glad of that? When you have a bad day, and you have only about eight in a week, right? And Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God, and he is literally advocating for us. He is your advocate, your defense attorney, because he paid the price. That's a defense attorney that paid the price. That's rare, isn't it? <laughs> Usually you pay the defense attorney? Uh-uh. Jesus paid your bill, and then he is defending you. That's my kind of attorney, right? We have a lot to be thankful for. We have a lot to be thankful for. So stepping back into the Sermon on the Mount now for just a second, verses 3 through 12 are talking about who we should be in the kingdom. Verses 13 through 16 talk about how we should act and then verses 17 through 20, which we haven't gotten through, is literally how do we do that? You uphold the law of God that was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He did not come to destroy it. He came to fulfill it. And nobody reminded me, but thankfully, I just remembered it. We also fulfill that very same thing. When we go to Romans chapter 8, verse 4. Let's go there for a second. We'll finish. Romans chapter 8 and verse 4. <clears throat> Romans 8, 4. that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in 
us who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. Isn't that beautiful? You know what? You will. That's what Jesus was literally getting to in advance. It was like predicting what could happen when, you, when, when he fulfilled the Old Testament, which he hadn't done yet then, but when he fulfilled it and we became fully and completely his, then the righteousness of the law is fulfilled in us when we walk in the Spirit. Oh, and why is the Spirit here? Because Jesus said, I've got to go so the Spirit can come. And every one of you that has trusted Christ, the Spirit lives within you. Praise God. Forever. Not going anywhere. Not going anywhere. You can't get rid of him. I'm saying that in a very positive sense, by the way. Because yeah, we're, we're his. He paid the price. He's the seal unto the day of redemption. He'd have to give up property that he'd never give up. God does not give up what he's taken, what he owns, and what he's bought and paid for. Praise God. Can you imagine that we just, just touched this little four verses? Isn't the Sermon on the Mount full and rich? It's amazing, and it's all for us. God loves us, cares for us, died for us, and we're his. We're his. Never given up, never lost, completely possessed by him. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the day. Thank you that we can have victory in Jesus. Thank you, Father, that we have a great future ahead of us. Father, yes, there will be times we'll trip and stumble and fall down, and you've made provision for that as well. You've given us pieces of armor that we need to put them all on. And Father, you've also allowed us to rejoin, regain fellowship when we confess our sin, re repent, turn around, go back the other way. You help us up. There's times, Father, when you even carry us. We're too weak to go, too weak. You hold us close to yourself. And we all know of moments like that. Those are the most precious. Those are the ones that are the builder moments, builders of faith, because we can trust you more. Those times of trials and tribulation, which, Father, you tell us in the scriptures, give us hope. It gives us everything we need. Father, when we go through times of persecution and tribulation, our dependence is heightened for you. Father, your goal has always been to be its conformist to the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. And Father, in those difficult times, those times when we suffer, when we're struggling, do what you need to do to make us more like Christ. Thank you for Christ fulfilling the Old Testament. Thank you, Father, that we have nothing but great things to look forward to when we're His. If there's someone in, in the range of my voice today that has not accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, that this moment right now would be yours. This would be a chance for you, person, to just accept Christ humbly, bowing in your heart and saying, Lord Jesus, you and you alone are the only way for me to be relieved of my sins. You paid the price. You're offering it in grace to me, and I accept that free gift. Not that I've earned it, not that I've worked for it, not that I deserve it, but because you've given it out of your mercy. Father, I accept that gift. And if you've done that just these moments, then you have become a child of God. The Holy Spirit has moved within you. And as you look to study and to, and to read the Word of God, it will, it will reap tremendous benefits to you. But you are a new creature. And now the benefits of having Jesus Christ as your Savior are untold because he is the fulfillment of everything that you need. As you bow to him and responsibilities become to come on you, you take them one moment at a time. He will take you and lead you through his power and his strength 
to become exactly what he wants you to be as you yield to him. Father, that's the same for each and every one of us. But that new person that's just become a new creature in Christ, Father, I ask for them to grow in the word wherever they're at. And for us as well, Father, that the walk of sanctification continues one minute at a time, knowing that we are serving a great and a risen Savior who died for us. And you told us before you made anything that you had chosen us in him. What a marvelous plan, what a marvelous unfolding of your love that was not just told but shown to us. The cost, the pain, the anguish, all enriched in justice and holiness is what makes you God. You're awesome. Amen. Tremendous. We bow at your feet. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.